You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode four of the Believe in Dog podcast. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving as I'm finalizing this episode over Thanksgiving weekend. I like Thanksgiving because I like the idea of taking a few moments out of our day to stop and think of all the things we have to be thankful for and to have gratitude for and and also mashed potatoes and gravy. There's definitely a time when I probably had a hard time finding things to be thankful for because I was only focused on grief and loss and what I didn't have. But today I sit here with a heart full of love and of joy and with a huge long list of things to be thankful for. So I thought I would start today's episode telling you a few of the lessons that I've learned from my dogs over the years that I'm thankful for. And then we'll get into our interview with Kate, who is going to tell us about her confusing first childhood encounter with a dog, how her dog Muffy helps her through a difficult time in her life, and how her volunteer work with the Seattle Humane Society helps her honor the memories of and feel connected to both her dog Muffy and her father. And it was Kate's story that made me think of the first lesson that I learned from our dogs. And that was Lucy. Of course, I talked a lot about Lucy in episode one, and I'm hoping the other dogs aren't feeling like jealous that I've left them out so far, which is why I wanted to make sure I mentioned all of them today. But starting with Lucy, she taught me the power of how dogs can just be there for you. I remember about two or three weeks after we had adopted Lucy, I was reading on the sofa over a weekend and Whatever I was reading had actually made me start to cry, and and Lucy had been laying on the floor near me, and she jumped up on the sofa and sprawled out next to me and laid her head on my chest and just looked at me with these big brown eyes, and it made me cry even harder because she was just there. And it was really that moment that made me realize exactly how emotionally sensitive that dogs are. And I really hadn't known that before that moment. I hadn't had a lot of experience around dogs, but I've now had moments like this with each of my dogs over the years. And this is something I'm definitely thankful for and that I have to thank Lucy for teaching me. Moving chronologically, my next dog is Kalua, And Kalua was just the sweetest soul. And one of the things that Kalua definitely taught me was how to live in the moment and how to appreciate the moment that you're in. Kalua would often sit outside in the hallway at night while I would be getting ready for bed and, you know, washing my face and brushing my teeth in the bathroom. And she would lay in the hallway and roll over on her belly. And 
I would sit down and just rub her belly. And sometimes I'd sit there for 5, 10, 15 minutes just rubbing her belly and petting her. And sometimes I was really tired and it was late and I knew that I needed to go to bed. But especially as she got older, sometimes I would just sit there and just keep petting her and petting her. I remember there were times when I would think that I have to do this now because there's going to come a day when she's not going to be here for me to do this anymore. And that was sort of a life-altering lesson that I was able to sort of take into several areas of my life. And for that, I am very thankful to Kalua. So Lucy and Kalua are our dogs that have passed on already. And our new kids, as I like to think of them, are Penny and Nino, although new is probably not the best word because they've both been with us now for almost four years. And Penny is the one that came along first, and Lucy was in her last couple of weeks of life when Penny came along. And I'm actually going to talk more about Penny and the story of how she came into our life in the next episode that I'll be recording. But for today, I want to thank her for teaching us how to move on again and how to open our hearts again. It was so hard losing Lucy after spending more than 11 years together. And then suddenly there was this kind of new stranger in our house (laughs) that we hadn't quite bonded with yet. And, And now Penny is like my BFF. So I have to thank her for teaching us how to open our hearts again. And now that brings us to Nino. Nino is definitely the most traumatized dog that we have brought into our house. And so the first thing that he taught us was patience. And that there is nothing more special than earning the trust of a dog. That there is no one-size-fits-all approach to dogs. And that slow improvement is better than no improvement. And also... Nino has a penchant for eating things that he shouldn't, so he also taught us that covered trash cans are worth the price. If you have any lessons that your dogs have taught you that you want to share, you can always reach out to me at believeindogpodcast at gmail.com, and you can also find me on Instagram, believeindogpodcast with underscores, and believeindogpodcast on Facebook. And now we're going to connect with Kate, who is a volunteer at the Seattle Humane Society. Hi, Kate. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So I always like to start at the beginning. Uh, Can you tell us about what your earliest memories are of dogs being in your life? Okay. I was about, let's see, I was about six or seven, and my family just bought um, a house in kind of a suburban part of the town we were living in. And it was the summer, and so school hadn't started yet, and I was just playing around in the neighborhood. I'd met my neighbors. My mother had um, met the neighbors, and she was kind of chatting on the sidewalk with the neighbor about um, just moving to the neighborhood, and she um, she had her dog with her. My neighbor had her dog. I don't remember the neighbor's name, but I remember the dog's name, and I didn't know it at the time. This was uh, a collie shepherd mix, so kind of a tallish dog, long hair, gray, nice-looking dog. And um, I was just standing there next to my mother, and I was um, never really encountered a dog before. Again, I was about six, and in my, you know, six-year-old mind, I, I was like, okay, so what are dogs for? What's their purpose? And I knew about horses, because uh, they were in a lot of the storybooks I was reading. 
um, and horses were for grown-ups to ride. Dogs must be for kids to ride. And this dog looked like about the same size, the, the right size for a kid to ride. That was the conclusion that I had made in my mind because, you know, everything had to have its own purpose and, you know, have a kind of logic to it. And so that was uh, the dog's dog's purpose, I concluded. So as my mother and um, this woman were talking, I walked over to the dog and mounted it or tried to (laughs) mount it. Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. And ride it. And luckily, the dog was a calm one, the kind of dog that did not a barky, aggressive dog, but really, I think it was an older dog. And just sort of strangely looked at me and calmly walked away. And I thought, no, 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 you're not supposed to walk away. You are for kids to ride. And so stay. I'm going to get back on. I'm going to try to ride you. And um, I got back on the dog, or at least I tried, and the dog calmly walked away. And this happened a few times, and I thought, that's really weird. This is, um, this this dog isn't playing ball. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It didn't quite know how to expand my mind and and uh, realize, well, maybe this is not what dogs are for. Oh, my God. That is such a great story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it took me a little while to kind of realize that. And um, I don't think my, my mother or the neighbor knew what was going on there, but I was I was very disappointed at the dog. Her name is Tanya, was Tanya. And she was a really nice looking dog, uh, long hair from the collie side, but um, kind of a quiet, calm, stoic demeanor of the German Shepherd. And so, yeah, that was the last time I tried to ride her. Oh my gosh. Well, that is hilarious. And I guess now I'm wondering how many other people out there have a story like that. <laughs> So once you learned that dogs were not for riding, um, did you ever have a family dog while you were growing up? I um, I was about 13 or 14 at the time when my family got a dog. My parents were fighting a lot. They'd been fighting for a few years. And um, I had three younger brothers. And so there, there was a lot of tension. So, um, yeah, as my parents were fighting, my brothers you know, kind of acted out and it was up to me, at least in my mind, to take care of them and make sure that they were, you know, doing their homework and going to bed and just um, not watching too much TV or playing too many video games. And so I was doing my best to to try to take on that emotional mother role as as much as a 13-year-old can. But but there was a lot of tension and my my parents really had um, these these big issues with one another at the time. So there was a lot of tension. Anyway, around the same time, my mother took one of my brothers and this was, I think, a Saturday and she went to the grocery store to go shopping. And she comes back and she has a dog with her. <laughs> this this is not the plan at all. She's like, meet Muffy. We have a dog now. And I was like, what? How Was this on the shopping list? Why? Why? What happened? And she said that she was in the parking lot and she saw this woman in a car with this dog, um, a cute little fluff ball of a, a dog. And she just happened to say, oh, that's a really cute dog. And um, the woman in the car said, well, do you want her? <laughs> and my mother was like, yes, I do. She's adorable. I'll take her if, if you don't want her. Yeah. And so that's how we got Muffy. 
it turned out that the dog was part of this large litter that this woman was um, didn't quite know what to do with, wasn't expecting, and um, her dog had all these babies, and it had been several months, I think, six, six or eight months, and she was trying to give the dogs away. I don't know if she had gone to the grocery store to try to find somebody to take the dog, but that ended up happening, and so my mom brought Muffy home. I think Muffy was already named Muffy, and it was the perfect name for her. She was a uh, Cocker Spaniel Poodle mix, small, but not super small, just full of this, this wavy, black, fluffy hair, mostly black. She had little white socks and a white belly and a white chin, grappy little thing. And she just, she fit right in with the family. We were not a very well-behaved family in that we just, there, there wasn't much, much structure to us. We, we would just kind of do whatever we wanted while our parents were figuring out their own lives. And she just kind of went right in and would um, play with my brothers as they, was, they were playing with each other, sit with me and, um, as I was doing my homework. So, so she worked, yeah, she, she was a, a good fit for us. Definitely, um, definitely made us happy. For a little while, until my parents went back to their routine of just tension and neglecting us, then my brother started to fight, this time over, who would walk Muffy. It's your turn. No, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. And then they would fight, and I was like, I'll walk her. And so I would walk her, and this this was routine over, you know, a few weeks until um, it was a real pleasure for me to just take a break from that tense environment and walk her and get to know her and just kind of really bond with her and talk to her about how tense it was and how unhappy I am um, and how hard it is. And she would just kind of look at me and maybe cock her head, but she, she, was, she would listen. And our walks were, were such a nice reprieve for me, and it was such a joy. I would look forward to it. Once she, she messed in the neighbor's yard and the neighbor happened to see it and come out and said, started to yell and say, is that the dog? Is that the dog that's been, um, you know, messing in my yard? Well, why don't you just clean it up? And I looked at him blankly. I'm like, what? What? Clean it up? What? <laughs> uh, we, we didn't know about um, training dogs or cleaning up after dogs or taking care of things. And so he taught me and he said, bags, you need bags. And this is what people do. And next time you walk the dog, bring a bag and scoop it up and tie the bag and throw it in the garbage. That is the etiquette. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. Having Muffy kind of taught me about, you know, <laughs> proper dog etiquette too. But mostly she was, she was this really wonderful reprieve in this maelstrom of um, tension and chaos in my home. And um, after about a year or something, I remember washing the dishes. I was I was wearing shorts because it gets hot in the summer in New York. And Muffy just walked over to me, licked my calf, and then walked away. And um, that was a moment. And it was a moment I needed. And it was a moment where I just started breaking down and crying. And I thought, she loves me. And this was such, it, it was, to me at least, in my mind, it was a an expression of affection. And it was one that I, I guess, really wanted at the time and one that I lacked. She was mine after that. I mean, we were, we were just inseparable. Oh, that's such a beautiful moment. Thank you for sharing that. I think we all have moments like that 
that we can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was to me, it was just bonded me to her. And, um, to me, it was just an expression of compassion that I really needed at the time. My parents got divorced to everyone's relief and, uh, things calmed down quite a bit, but after that, it was it was over. I mean, she and I were were bonded. She was my dog, and I was hers, and she'd follow me. And um, I remember once somebody from high school came over to my house um, to take me out on a date, and he walked over to me, and Muffy started growling, and and she actually nipped him because she was protecting me. He was not too fond of that, <laughs> but I was like, oh. She's protecting me. Yeah. Yeah, the story of Muffy through my adolescence and high school years. And when I when I went away to college, um, I found myself just missing her and feeling heartsick that I missed her so much. More so, more so than my brothers, more so than my parents. It was Muffy. That um I didn't write letters to her, but I would always ask her, ask my family how she was and if uh, when they came to visit, bring her, which they didn't, but it was she who I missed. And when I did, when I came home from college, I would see scratches outside my door, my bedroom door scratch. She was, she would scratch, she would try to get in. I mean, they kept my bedroom door shut. So yeah, that was sad. And it ended up that my father ended up taking her and she lived with him because um, he also, he cared a lot for her and he was able to um, give her the attention that I gave her. He kind of replaced me in that respect and I felt so much relief and reassured that, okay, he's going to, he's really going to love her and take care of her the way I don't know that my brothers are going to or that my mother is going to. I think my mother is more of a cat person. She's also spontaneous and, you know, does things on a whim but doesn't follow through. So it worked out with Muffy, but only because I was able to take over the, the caretaking of her. And so Muffy really bonded with your dad and helped bond you with your dad, too. That, too. Yeah. She provided a really great context for us to um, have these long conversations, and we would talk about Muffy, and he would um, tell me about the tricks that he was teaching her, and it really made him happy to bond with her. He was approaching retirement at the time, so he was able to spend a lot of time with her, and she filled a hole for him, too. He met people. He met somebody who became his partner for the next few decades, walking Muffy, so she um, held a really big part of our lives it's big in his heart yeah and so after you went away to college you weren't ever living full-time with Muffy again is that right yeah because I was um I pretty much left home I, I came back over for the summers for holidays but after college I I wasn't really planning on coming back and I spent time with at his home his new home for a lot of the holidays to be with her, to be with him. But yeah, I was ready to move on from just living there. But I felt so much reassured that she was settled with him and that he was settled with her. So yeah, it was always wonderful to come back and visit. I went to college away and I ended up moving away across the country to go to grad school and then um, stayed out on the West Coast. And so how much time or how many years did your dad and Muffy get to spend together? 
It's a good question. Maybe um, eight or nine years around around that time. She passed away. She died of old age. I think I think she was yeah eighteen or nineteen when she died. Oh wow. Okay. I mean, we never get long enough, but she had a nice long life. Yeah, and um, he said that you know when she died, he cried. And which is not something that I've ever seen him do, not not something that he's ever done, according to him. So that was a big thing. Yeah, I sent him this big expensive wreath that uh, he put, he, he buried her in the backyard, which might not have been the best, um, I, th- I think it was against um, the law, but we didn't tell anyone. <laughs> he had this funeral and he had this big wreath that I that I'd sent and so Muffy was a really big part of our lives and um my dad passed away I guess it's six and a half years ago now yeah I think he'd gotten another dog um Muffy's passing was just so so big so hard for him that another dog to play with and train was really healing for him and when he passed away I ended up reaching out to the local Seattle, the animal shelter here, the Seattle Animal Shelter, to see about volunteering for them. And they told me about their dog walking program. And I took the training and um, started volunteering for them, walking dogs for them, first once a week and then twice a week. And that was really healing for me because I was devastated when my dad passed away. I I grieved quite a bit because he and I were close. So walking dogs was healing for me. It kind of bonded us and made me feel close to him as I was grieving. And also it made me feel like even though in the depth of my sorrow and grief, I can contribute and be of service to these dogs who are in the shelter. And even though they're well taken care of, they're scared and don't know what's going on. And and it's tense for them because there are lots of other barking dogs in that environment trying to give back the love and everything I got from having a dog in my life, from Muffy, my first dog, doing my best to give to those dogs what Muffy gave me at that time and even still now it's it's such a privilege and so important and really fills my heart in a big way oh i think that's a really beautiful story and a, a really lovely way to honor and pay tribute to the memory of both your father and of muffy yeah thank you so i'm curious about your experiences walking dogs at the shelter what is your favorite part my favorite part of walking the dogs are um getting to know those dogs' personalities. And um, I go into the the kennel where the dog is, and I introduce myself. I literally say, hi, I'm Kate. I'm here to walk you. It's really nice to make your acquaintance. And then I sit, and I let them get to know me for a little while and just see, um, just wait until they're ready to have a walk. And sometimes they aren't sure about me, and so I sit with them until, until they are. Sometimes they just want to sit on my lap, and so I do that for a little while. But I talk to them, and that just comes naturally to me. I engage with them. I don't know what they think of it, but that, that was just natural for me with Muffy. We, we were so bonded. She was just such a personality and friend to me that we would connect, and I would talk, and I would tell her, you know, I was 
not happy with what things were going on, but I'm so grateful for you. And what do you think of this color on me? <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I'm sorry you don't like my boyfriend, but you're going to have to, you know, accept him. <laughs> but we would, I would just uh, treat her with that kind of respect. And that just carried over for me with those dogs talking to them, but also giving them the space to respond to me in a way that's right for them. Oh, I love that. The shelter can be such a stressful environment. And I think that's a really good point about giving the dogs space to respond to you and in their own way and on their own terms. I, I think that's really great. So have you ever adopted or had your own dog? No, I have not adopted my own dog because I love dogs too much, um, which means that I know how bonded they can get, how they're pack animals, and you know, they get really stressed out when they're alone in a house or in an apartment by themselves. And I don't have a dog because I know that um, I, I have a really busy job, and sometimes I travel, and I, I know that I wouldn't be able to give a dog the attention it needs. And if I were to have a dog, I would just feel so guilty leaving the dog for you know days at a time while I travel. Or, um, I mean, I'd probably get a dog sitter, but still just, I wouldn't be available for the dog the way I'd want to be and the way the dog would want me to be. So until I'm ready, until I can give a dog what it needs, I, I'll just have to do what I can at the shelter. Well, I certainly commend you then for being that self-aware and you do bring up a really good point about knowing whether our lifestyle is conducive to having a pet or not. And that is such an important point. Yeah, thank you. At the house, um, growing up as crazy as it was, there was always somebody around with my three brothers or my parents. So Muffy was rarely by herself. One day when I retire or have a partner and a, a large gated yard. That's the dream. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking. I enjoyed it. I think so many people can relate to your story and have their own story of how their dog has helped them get through a hard time in their life. And sometimes we don't always recognize it when we're going through it. But when we take time to reflect and, and look back, we realize exactly how healing and how instrumental maybe our dogs were. I know in my own life from grief depression to health issues. That's so true. They really are. They, they just want to give you affection and support you and, and be a part of your life. So, um, yeah, it's, it's easy, I think, to, to bond with a dog and have a dog around if, if you provide the space for that. But yeah. In my, in my world, certainly there, they gave me a lot of, a lot of healing. So it's, kind of uh, feel like a, a duty and a privilege for me to, to give back what they've given me. Kate, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, you're very welcome. I'm so appreciative to Kate for sharing her story with us. I think that's one of the things that we love about dogs is that they're just there for us when we need them. In therapy, and I've had a lot of experience in this area, there is a concept called holding space. And I was looking online to try to find like a good definition of this. And I'll put some links in the show notes if this is something that you're interested in reading more about. But there is a great piece written by 
someone called the angry therapist. And he says, holding space means to be with someone without judgment, to donate your ears and heart without wanting anything back, to practice empathy and compassion, to accept someone's truth, no matter what they are, to allow and accept, embrace with two hands instead of pointing with one finger, to come in neutral, open for them, not you. Holding space means to put your needs and opinions aside and allow someone to just be. And I think that's part of the magic that is dogs, that they allow us to just be. And they're just there for us without judgment whenever we need them. Thank you to everyone who has taken the time to leave their five-star rating or review for the Believe in Dog podcast. Your ratings and reviews really do help more people find out about the podcast, so I certainly appreciate you taking a few minutes to do that. If you have a story you'd like to share or if you would like to be a guest on Believe in Dog Podcast, you can always email me at believeindogpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send direct messages on Instagram or Facebook. On Instagram, it's Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores and Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook. Thanks so much for listening today, and until next time, this is Erin Scott, sending hugs and belly rubs.